Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell, and we are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. This episode of the podcast is brought to you from Treaty 1 territory, traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Ojikri, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. We are back after taking a week off due to busy schedules. Uh, we apologize. We weren't able to coordinate a time that made sense last week between the two of us. Uh, but a lot has happened in the CFL in the past two weeks. Uh, we'll be focusing mostly on the three games from this past weekend, but I'm sure we'll loop in some of the stuff from the week before as well. But first, let's welcome in the man of the hour. Michael Garrell is here once again. Mike, how are you doing this week? Not bad, not bad. Things are finally sort of stabilizing on my end, and it's nice to be head above water, is the saying. Yeah, I believe that. You're a busy guy, for sure. Uh, well, as I mentioned, lots has happened in the CFL. Let's dive right into it. No time to waste. Um, so many storylines to talk about, and we'll start off with Winnipeg and Edmonton. They played last week, which we didn't talk about. They played again this week. Uh, last week's game, Bombers beating the Elks 30-3. to Trevor Harris comes back from injury, plays uh, his first time, at, you know, after sitting out two games, has his worst game of the year, which a lot of quarterbacks have had against this Bombers defense this year. And then uh, coming into this week's game, he gets sat not even on the bench, but in the press box with uh, the Elks electing to go with Taylor Cornelius as the starter and Dakota Prukop as the backup with a healthy Trevor Harris, not on the game day roster. And now at the point of recording this on Monday, uh, Trevor Harris isn't even in the organization at all anymore. He's off to the Montreal Alouettes uh, in exchange for defensive lineman Antonio Simmons. It's been a whirlwind of uh, changes there in terms of Trevor Harris and the Edmonton Elks since the last time we talked here on the podcast, Mike. Uh, what do you make of all of this? Well, I'll tell you, things escalated pretty quickly for sure. Um, it's, it's. I I don't know too many people that had Trevor Harris to Montreal or Trevor Harris anywhere outside of Edmonton um, on their, you know. CFL season bingo card. Um, I, I I mean, I picked Trevor Harris as like the second overall pick or second round pick in our fantasy draft and thought he was going to be MOP. So. Yeah. I mean, things change very, very quickly. Um, I, I'm shocked, but the more I kind of read into things here the last couple of days, I see it made sense, but yet it doesn't make sense in, in the same token. Uh, you know what? It's one of those things where I don't know if we'll ever know the full extent of what happened, the full truth of what happened, the full scope of what happened. And I, I think a lot of that kind of stays in the, in the locker room with the coaches and the players. And this is an interesting asset, uh, I guess, protection for Edmonton, right? They did something for presumably a dive that wasn't going to be back next year. Um, I understand this move, I guess, with the, you know, Vernon Adams going down to injury, which I'm sure we're going to address 
on this podcast as well because that that also happened uh, since we last spoke. So it's it just there seems to be this cloud of uncertainty, and Montreal was a team that still views themselves, and I. As you know, Ryan view Montreal the same way. I've been bullish on Montreal uh, for the better part of the season, um, for the better part of the preseason. I was also bullish on Edmonton. I thought I said something like Edmonton would be in the top two or the best team in the West conversation. And it's just, I don't know how anybody could have foreseen this coming. Yeah, it is a situation right now where this whole year went downhill so quick for Edmonton. And, and they're, they're at the point now where the playoff hopes, I think everyone recognizes they're pretty much over for the Elks this year. They're 2-7 and seven, uh, after two more losses to the Bombers since we last spoke. They're 0-5 at home. They've got five games left on the year and three of those come in the span of like seven or nine days because they have that makeup game with the Argos after their COVID situation earlier this year. Like it's, it's bleak for Edmonton. It's time to basically start prepping for next year. And yeah, it's shocking to see Trevor Harris moved out because I could see it if you have a promising backup here, but from what we've seen from Taylor Cornelius, yes, we've seen, you know, a couple nice passes here and there, maybe a couple plays with his legs here and there, but certainly we haven't seen anything through three games to bank moving on from a guy who can be an MOP quality quarterback at times, uh, especially when I don't think given the current situation with Edmonton, I don't consider based on their roster makeup and, and the ages of a lot of their players, I don't see them as a rebuild team, and maybe this is the triggering of a rebuild for Edmonton. But to be honest, I think based on this move, based on you know a lot of the talk around the Elks this year in terms of the culture, so to say, of the organization, I think if they're going to make a rebuild, it's got to start at the top. And I'm sorry to say it, but it's, it's Brock Sunderland. I think it starts with him. There's a lot of things here in play that don't make an awful lot of sense. And, you know, if you look at it, I, I just think it's it's mystifying, right? Because if you look at their offense, if you look at their, you know, it's hard to say exactly what anyone foresaw coming with this, you know, disappointing season, which is, I think, to put it mildly. But you look at, you know, Edmonton's offense, you know, that has a top three in the West, top two in the West type of scenario, and then just this COVID scenario, which didn't end up well, and it's been downward ever since. And maybe we shouldn't be entirely surprised, uh, because we've seen, and I hate to, you know, pull this to hockey, but we've seen hockey teams, particularly, like, I'm thinking about the Vancouver Canucks. You know, when they came back from a COVID, you know, situation last year, you know, they were far from the team that was that, you know, that Vancouver Canuck team that we were accustomed to, you know, before their COVID situation. But, you know, this is just Edmonton being consistently inconsistent at the worst possible time. And, 
you know, the two losses to to Ottawa don't exactly, you know, help the matters, right? I mean, full credit to the Red Blacks. They're able to, you know, win those two games. But, you know, this Edmonton team is a very, very... If you would have told me about the things that surprised me uh, this early into the this late into the season, uh, it would be uh, honestly it would be Edmonton in last place and not having Trevor Harris now. How they rebuild this? If it is a rebuild, I'm not so sure because you know the talent on paper suggests that you know this should be a team that's sort of underachieving. Um, personally, I've never seen a football team have so much disarray uh, off the field, but it's just remarkable that I don't believe anybody that said Edmonton would be 2-7 and seven or whatever they are in nine games. That wasn't on many people's bingo cards either, and it just goes to show that a piece of paper in the preseason is just that, a piece of paper, until you get the, the pieces working together on the field. And it just goes to show how how different those two can be. I think the biggest issue for me is just this isn't a football team right now. Like it, To me, it seems like a bunch of guys that just aren't working together well and the big bone I had to pick this week was, you know, Darrell Walker saying this week, kind of calling out his quarterback saying, look, I'm getting open downfield making plays. Why aren't you getting me the ball? You got to throw the ball where I can catch it, basically throwing his young quarterback in Taylor Cornelius and, you know, veteran Trevor Harris under the bus uh, because Walker's had a ton of targets. And this is definitely, I think one of the worst seasons of his career, but yes, there have been some bad overthrows his direction, but I think I've also seen in the three games against Winnipeg in the past number of weeks, him drop the ball on easy passes sent his way more times than I've ever seen in his career. And it's not just Walker. I can pinpoint it on him, but it's guys across the team where it's, you know, underperformance from everybody. And it's getting to the point where now fingers are starting to be pointed from one to another and if you're pointing fingers at somebody else instead of, you know, improving on on your own play and, and then all of a sudden you make a mistake, well, then it just leads to even more tension in the locker room. And uh, it's not a great situation there right now. And I, I feel for Elks fans because this is certainly not what we drew up coming into this year and certainly not what uh, any of them drew up either. But uh, just touching on the game this week with Winnipeg, uh, well, last week was 30 to three at IG field. The Bombers dominated in all aspects of that game. If they, uh, if they could have converted, uh, and played a little less sloppy, they would have won by 50. It wasn't close. Uh, this week, 26 to 16, I do have to give Edmonton some credit because I thought they, they showed some fight in, in this game. And I thought particularly their defense played pretty well. You know, putting up, I think it was four sacks on Zach Caleros. He'd barely been sacked all year coming into this. And, you know, the Elks typically don't force a ton of turnovers. Well, they got another interception in this one. I think they might have forced a fumble or two as well. Uh, So, you know, Bombers' offensive line has been very good all season long. They were missing a big piece this week in Jamarcus Hardrick. And I got to give the Elks defense credit because they made some big plays. They made some big takeaways. 
And uh, boy, you have to wonder how different this game would have been if uh, if Aaron Grimes would have just had caught that ball there in the third or the fourth quarter. He was taking that to the house for the interception. The Bombers score a couple plays later and end up going on to win the game. Uh, you have to wonder how much a different uh, story we're telling this week if that play happened. You have to wonder how different it's going to be, but you also have to realize when you have the chance in front of you to make the play, you have to make the play. Like, I, I don't want to say, you know, the Bombers are the king of the castle, but when you, when you play a team that is at the top of the league, and I think this goes anywhere uh, in, in any sport, whether it's the CFL, the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, although that's a little bit more subjective. But when you're playing a top team in any league that is as good as, you know, top teams are, uh, what's the only way you beat them? A mere perfect game or they beat themselves? And the chances were there. Edmonton did not take advantage. Uh, the Bombers again owned the fourth quarter, which they've been doing all season long, which is just unbelievable. <laughs> but again, you know, you need to take advantage when teams, the top teams particularly, open the door to give you a chance. And if you don't, those good teams are good teams for a reason, and they find a way to win when they're not always at their best. And that's what separates the good teams, the great teams, and the teams that aren't so great. And, you know, I have to wonder, you know, the Bombers have been building this with this group for quite some time. And we remember this. First, it was that playoff spot. You know, the loss in the West Semi. And they went in and lost. They won a... They won a West Semi. They won, went to the West Final. You know, they lost the West... Oh, and they lost the... They lost... They won a West Semi. They lost the West Semi. The bottom line is it took the Bombers a couple years with this group and some hard playoff lessons had to be learned to get here. And they broke through last year. They have the experience and... They're a team because of it. And and I think not to say that Edmonton is not a team because I know there's a lot of players in there that have a lot of pride that work hard. But we've seen bomber teams in our lifetime, Ryan, that are exactly in the shoes that the Elks are in. And it's not pretty. It's not fun to talk about. It is awful to have to talk about. Now... Of course, when you're winning, you run out of things to talk about. When you're losing, that's kind of generally where the content is. But I cannot help but think and imagine where we would be if they had said, okay, things aren't going according to plan. The first, the first couple of years in this regime, okay, we're a, we're a you know, free spot on the bingo card, if you will, for the management because they... You know, because they weren't getting what they wanted, results-wise. But can you imagine if a year ago, or two years ago, or three years ago, they would have said, you know what, this regime isn't good enough, let's start over. 
So there is also an element of patience required, and I have to wonder who will be on this team next year. Now, logic in my head suggests that there's going to be a full-blown rebuild, particularly for those upstairs and in management positions. But unfortunately, their conduct is reflected in their football team from up above. And I'm not saying that the doll brought Sunderland, Jamie Elizondo. But I'll tell you what, the example comes from up top, and it feeds it down. It goes, so for the Bombers, it would be from Wade Miller to, my, to Kyle Walters to Michael Shea down to the player. They know where that line is. They've been through the battles before. Edmonton, to me, looks like a dysfunctional, disorganized me team instead of a collective team. And that's a problem, and that is the culture thing that I think will need to be addressed in the offseason. But not to say that everybody is the problem there. But you know what? There's going to have to be some change. And Trevor Harris, I think, was just the start. And whether he was to blame for all of this, I'm not so sure. But it's going to be very interesting. And just to pivot back to your question, I know that was a long-winded thing to answer your question. Edmonton made too many mistakes despite the good performance. Edmonton had the pieces to play with the Blue Bombers, but I think they lacked the experience to close it out in opportunities when they were presented. And when given the opportunity, particularly in the fourth quarter, the Bombers were the veteran team, the smarter team, and they said, okay, enough of this. They took control of the situation. Their defense locked it down with some brilliant play at the end. And Mark Lydio with some brilliant punts, really, really pinning the outs, you know, deep in territory to really make things difficult for a young quarterback. And that's how dead teams win. And Edmonton can only look at the tape and learn and become better that way and make it a sustained process, not a quick fix like some management types in sports generally try to emulate, which doesn't really work very well. Now, from the Winnipeg perspective here, I would say this was this week and last week, uh, certainly offensively, I mean, defense has been stellar yet again, but offensively, it's been their two sloppiest weeks of the year, maybe outside of that week three game in Toronto that the Bombers sole loss on the season. But, uh, you know, a couple of straight weeks now where Caleros has thrown a, a pick in the end zone. We've seen last game we saw them get stopped at the one-yard line. Uh, we've seen them stall for field goals after big turnovers here. Um, and you know what? This game, I think we saw some pretty big adversity that they finally faced in that Caleros seemed like he was running for his life on every single play, and that's what the Elks drew up defensively in this one. They just decided, you know what? If we're going to throw the Bombers off their game, we're just going to blitz you on every single play. And I have to say, for the most part, it was effective. Only 62% passing for Caleros, 210 yards, two touchdowns, and that aforementioned pick. But 
it was a sloppy day, I think, for the Bombers. But my overall take on this is if if you're having a sloppy game and you can still win a game by 27, or in the case of this week, you can still win a game by 10, you're a pretty good football team. And, you know, this defense, I think, is masking a lot of inefficiencies of some of the other positions like offense and uh, certainly the kicking game this year. But, uh, you know, they, they can get back on their game as well. And if your defense can still keep you afloat, which is the big difference from bomber teams we've seen in the past, you know, I would say this current iteration of the offense is better than the ones during the, the bad years here in Winnipeg, for sure. There's a lot of talent offensively, but uh, even the defense, you know, back then was the breaking point, And now they're the ones that are carrying the team to wins. And it's fun to see. But we got to talk about Brady Oliver. I know this is your guy. This is a guy you're very fond of. You want to see get more involved with the Bombers. Uh, Andrew Harris goes down on a touchdown catch late in the second quarter. Brady Oliveira takes over in the second half. 105 rushing yards on 16 attempts in just the second half. Also pitched in a couple catches there as well. What did you make of what you saw from him? I, I was very happy with, with uh, Brady Oliveira. I mean, everybody, you know, I remember covering the day at Oak Park High School for uh, – Winnipeg High School football lead uh, way back when, and then winds up going to uh, NDSU, I think it is. Uh, or uh, Anyway, he went to one of the schools in uh, the Dakota, the massive North Dakota, or if it was, uh, I, I, I believe it was North Dakota, out in, uh, in, in Grand Forks, um, playing uh, FBS football. Um, but no, I mean, in, in general, I mean, you know, this is the guy that has the potential to be a ratio breaker in the sense that, you know, the blue bobbers have a number one, um, running back in Andrew Harris, that's Canadian in order to have the ratio flexibility, you need to have a Canadian backup. More times than not, or you have to shift other pieces around. Um, you know, I see a lot of Andrew Harris in Brady. Uh, not necessarily, you know, the size, but I see that toughness. I see that that willingness to get that extra yard on a couple of those plays. You know, where it was, you know, he turned a what would be a normal three-yard gain into a five- or six-yard gain by leaning into it and really fighting for those yards. And there was a couple of them where, you know, he gained a couple extra yards because he kept his feet moving. And, you know, for me, that's Andrew Harris right there mentoring Brady Oliveira. And I believe that those guys, both Brady and Andrew, will form a great uh, one-two tandem in the backfield for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. You know, when we look at, you know, the post-Andrew Harris era, um, you know, I know when Brady was drafted, uh, there wasn't, or Andrew Harris, I guess, started in the homecoming with, you know, the local kids signing. Um, 
One must say that was on another bomber regime, but Andrew Harris wasn't with, you know, the Blue Bombers to start, and that was a big misstep. But he's here now, and I'm glad that the organization is taking um, proactive steps to have serviceable backups behind Andrew Harris. And, you know, Andrew Harris and Brady Alvaro, by all accounts, have a great relationship. And, you know, it's kind of like you go into a job, right? It's like, I want your job, but I don't want your job, but I want to, you know, be a sponge as much as I can to, to learn how you do your job. You know, and I think that is the mindset that teams need to have, uh, players have on teams as much as, you know, it is a competition and you want to be the number one. I think Brady's done a great job of recognizing that, you know, he's not the number one, but he's a pretty safe and effective number two behind what, he has and not Andrew Harris. And I would, you know, I'm not going to say that the, I'm not going to say that the Andrew Harris era is going to be over, you know, in Winnipeg anytime soon, but I would be very hesitant to lose a player like Brady Oliveira in free agency for a number one job. Now, I realize that's down the line. If you were to get an offer to be a number one somewhere else, you know, I'm just saying the Bombers have to be very careful with that because I think they have a number one, a future number one in Brady Oliveira, but I understand you don't want to ruffle the feathers with Andrew Harris because I think, I know you and I were talking about this earlier uh, in the week, uh, you know, you cannot really let, you know, Andrew Harris finish his career as a member of the Blue Bombers. It would be nice to have that go right into Brady Oliveira and have Brady Oliveira ready to take over the number one with the seamless, you know, transition. So I don't know if that's part of the plan, but, you know, it's good anytime your backup can come off the bench and, you know, be his own style, be the same kind of running back, but be kind of different in the same sense. And I think if you can get 100-plus yards from your backup uh, for not playing a full game, and it was only the second half, uh, that's pretty good, too. And... I would personally would be in no rush uh, to play Andrew Harris in the next couple of weeks. I, I heard Michael Shea say that on the post team, so some variation of if Andrew Harris can play this week, he will. That's just the type of person he is. I don't know how you don't keep Andrew Harris out of the lineup for sure this week, especially with the bye coming up, but that's just me. But it's nice to have a serviceable backup. And I just want to see Andrew Harris for one game, hopefully two games in December. That's all I need to see from Andrew Harris the rest of the way. And if this is about getting Andrew Harris ready for the playoffs, fine with me. Well, we spent about 25 minutes on these two teams, if my clock is correct. Uh, so much more I could talk about. We didn't even get into the kicking game for the Bombers, but I do want to move on and make sure we touch on all the other games from this week as well. So, Let's move on to Montreal and Ottawa from this Saturday. The Owlets pull out the 27-16 win. It's their second game in less than a week. Uh, after the back in week 10, the Owlets won a nail-biter 20-16. to 
over Ottawa in that one. Uh, Ottawa's also played earlier that week, lost 35 to 16 to Toronto. Um, oddly enough, three straight games of exactly 16 points scored for Ottawa. I, I want to know what the, uh, the record is in the CFL for longest consecutive games played with the exact same score. Uh, that's certainly a little quirk. Uh, well, let's talk Montreal first. Big story for them after the game last week. Vernon Adams Jr. going down. Looks like he could be out a while. They decide for this game against Ottawa to go with Matt Schiltz as their quarterback. He's been the backup for a while. Finally gets a good shot to start a game. Uh, and I thought he looked really good in this one. 21 of 34, 61% completion percentage. Okay, could be a bit better. Uh, but 281 yards, a touchdown, a pick. Uh, and then uh, also added a touchdown on the ground. I thought that was a pretty good day for a backup quarterback. And he seemed to be moving the, the offense pretty well in this one. Uh, but then the news comes out on Sunday after this game has been played already that the Alouettes acquire Trevor Harris. Now, my thoughts on the trade is personally, I would keep rolling with Schultz for the next couple of weeks. He, he, he earned it in this one. Give him another shot. You know, don't rush Trevor Harris into this. You, you acquired Harris. I view it as more, you acquired him as an insurance policy. You know, if Schultz is winning football games for you here and uh, doing a good job, then, uh, I couldn't ask, you probably couldn't ask for much of a better insurance policy if something happens with him or if he struggles down the stretch than to have Trevor Harris, who, uh, if you remember, is typically uh, can throw up some big games come playoff time. Uh, that is certainly an asset to have there. But what do you make of how Schultz played in this game against Ottawa and the decision to bring in Trevor Harris from the Montreal side of things? Okay, two things. First off, I agree with you. I do not believe that Trevor Harris was brought in to play games right away. Uh, I think, you know, we can only see what happened in 2019 as a fine example. I really don't think Kalaus was brought in to play games and then, you know, Chris Trevor hurts himself and the rest is history. But let's, let's remember something here. Matthew Schultz isn't your former, you know, college player that has one or two games or a half a season on the bench here. Schultz has been a, in this lead a while. I think mean, it's at least two or three years taking out last year. Yeah, I, I, can remember, I, I can remember him playing even in 19 and maybe even a little bit in 18. It's time to see what Matthew Schultz is. Um... I have thought very highly of him, always. Uh, even, you know, when VA was struggling, there, you know, they went back and forth for Schultz, and then VA wound up being the guy. Um, and, and the rest has, you know, been history ever since. But this, to me, is the next couple of weeks here is Matthew Schultz's team. It is a chance for him to audition for a future number one position in the CFL as far as the quarterback goes. And all of a sudden, we may have some openings uh, for quarterbacks in the CFL, but for teams that could be looking for a number one, I'm excited. 
I'm I'm not surprised actually. You know, but Schultz fared as well as he did in that game. Um, you know, it's all about an opportunity. Schultz has been waiting for this opportunity for a while. Let's see what he can do with it. And now he's got a very veteran backup to help him out in Trevor Harris. And if, you know, something goes wrong and he needs to play, that's a very, very serviceable backup option last I checked. Um, a guy that can start. Um, a dive that isn't that far removed from a lot of CFL success, but I do believe that it's in Montreal's best interest uh, to start Schultz and then go for Mara. And let's see what happens. And I'm going to come out and say this right now, and I've said this right from, you know, very early on in the season. Montreal is still my team to come out of the East. And this just reinforces what I have been thinking, that, you know, management makes this trade because they believe, much like you were describing to me, I think it was yesterday when the trade was announced, that, you know, this mess of the East Division, they're in it just as much as, just as, much as Hamilton and just as much as Toronto. And I think Trevor Harris gives them that shot in the arm and I'm wondering if this reinvigorates Trevor Harris, too. You know, a new, new luck, a chance to play for a great top. You know, away from the distractions of what happened in, uh, in Edmonton. And to me, that's a very, very good scenario to be in for, for me. And I think this just cements, you know, Montreal as they're still thinking great top here. And they're a team that really excites me down the stretch. The Bombers see them twice, and I can't wait. Yeah, and, and, you know, I think it helps to have a system both for Schultz and for Trevor Harris coming in. It helps to have a great co- coach in Kahari Jones. It helps to have, uh, in my opinion, one of the best offensive lines in the league. And as much as we've talked about quarterback struggles and coach struggles for Montreal over the years, offensive line was a big part of it, too. And it feels so good to finally be saying that they do have one of the better offensive lines in the league again. And it helps them a great rushing game too. I mean, William Stanback's been out the past two games. He missed the one last Monday with an injury. This one on this weekend, he had food poisoning and wasn't ready to go. And out of nowhere, Cameron Artis Payne came in and across the two games had something like 200 rushing yards uh, combined in the two games. I thought he looked very solid. Uh, especially in the first one, you know, I put up like a 24 point fantasy week in that one. And uh, so now we look at maybe this Montreal team's dangerous down the stretch of not only do you have Stanback who's been putting up a hundred yard games, you know, in a good chunk of the season. Now you've got another running back option here as well. Maybe we see them do a dual back a la uh, Toronto with John White and uh, DJ Foster. I'd love to see them work that into the package a little bit. And you've got a great group of receivers here in Montreal. And I, I mean, I don't know if I've seen very many guys produce touchdowns more consistently than one Jake Weineke, who through, I believe it's nine games on the year, only has two games where he hasn't produced a touchdown. He had two Back in week five, eight touchdowns in nine games. He's at 705 yards on the year coming in. I mean, this guy is 
had a fantastic year. He made a heck of a catch again this week. Uh, I got to give credit to you once again, Mike. You said he was going to be a breakout player of the year this year. And uh, yeah, he's delivering. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really, really remarkable. I mean, I just can't believe the streak he's going on. You know, you pick fantasy players, it's hard to bank on touchdowns, but uh, he's one guy that uh, you can certainly bank it on each and every week. And, you know, that's just talking about the offensive side of things. I mean, defensively, the Alouettes are playing some decent ball here as well. This week, they put up 10 sacks in this game against Ottawa. I mean, just tackling them to the ground every single play, causing nightmares for that offensive line and the quarterbacks there in Ottawa. And if we want to switch over to the Ottawa side of things, uh, three games since we last talked here on the podcast for them, three losses in those games. Uh, I don't know if it was last episode or the episode before where I had claimed that the Red Blacks were going to make the playoffs now, Mike, after uh, they got that one win uh, against Edmonton. Well, I think the dream is uh, effectively dead. They've got four points on the year. They're four points out of a playoff spot, uh, and Hamilton's got a game in hand on them, plus, I believe, the season series. Uh, Safe to say, uh, things have gone downhill once again for Ottawa. What do you think of what you've seen from them in their past three games? As I recall, you also had a speech about how they were didn't finish in first place in the East, was it? Well, that one was a stretch. I was joking a little bit, but... Yeah. Well, anyway, yeah, it's it's interesting because I feel like I can put Edmonton and I can put Ottawa in the same boat um, when it comes to this. Um, but I think now the mindset needs to switch, and I think it finally has switched. Now that I think this week they're not officially, but, you know, the numbers kind of bear it out, but it'll be next year territory for, uh, but it, it'll be next year territory for uh, Ottawa, and it's time to figure out just who they can keep, who they can move on from, and who their quarterback is going to be long-term. Uh, I, I think there's some of the key questions. Um, personally, I do not believe that, you know, they should make another coaching change just because I feel like their talent wasn't uh, wasn't there where we had any high expectations for them. I know that sounds terrible, but... You know, we are kind of what they we thought they would be. You know, I thought they'd win one, have one or two more wins at this point. But by and large, it's time to start evaluating talent for next year, and to particular who your quarterback is. Um, you know, I would even be. I don't know how how this will shake down, but a player like you know Devontae Dadman. You know, he may or may not need to play the rest of this year, depending on what happens over there. Uh, Quite honestly, if I'm Ottawa, I treat these as exhibition games. Uh, Start rotating some guys in on the practice roster. You know, see how their work ethic is, uh, all that kind of stuff, and see if you can kind of work around them for next year. And then, you know, you kind of have to build this, 
I, I still think we haven't seen Ottawa make a commitment to a full-blown rebuild. I, I think they always seem to think for whatever reason that, you know, they can get by, but every year the result seems to be the same, uh, particularly since, you know, the first three years since that team came into the league. You know, they were in a very inadequate East division, um, at a very uh, weak division uh, when they first came in. And, you know, some good teams that maybe had some players that overshadowed some of their some of their uh, play was maybe buoyed by, you know, certain performances. Now it's time to evaluate what you have. Who's your quarterback? Who are you going to move on with? What are you going to look for in the offseason? And really start to have a formulative plan for this is what we want to do next year. In three years, we see the franchise here. In five years, we want the franchise to be here. How do we get there? And it starts with evaluating for the rest of this year and getting a head start on the off season. Well, you mentioned trying out some of those pieces on the practice roster and, you know, rotating guys in. And it's hard to see uh, how Ottawa's doing that this year. Like, like the big thing issue I saw with, they had that bye week earlier in the year where they, br- they brought a couple pieces in. The team was looking like a disaster. Uh, and, and the most notable of the pieces they brought in was Kenny Stafford. And I love Kenny Stafford. And he's been playing pretty solid football. He picked up a touchdown again, 45 yards this week. But if you are a rebuilding football club, like Stafford's been in the league for a while. He's played a number of years here. You've got a guy like Daniel Peterman, who showed a bright flash or two earlier on this year. That's been a backup for the past two to three weeks. I don't even think was on the active roster this game. Like, it's guys like that that I think, especially at this point in the year, playoff chances are looking bleak. Uh, I think I saw the odds the other day. They're at about a 0.2% chance at this point with only a couple of weeks to go. Um, you know, why are we not rotating out some of these veteran guys and giving some of these uh, younger players a shot to see what they're capable of? I think they've done that a little bit with getting guys like, you know, Ryan Davis has been probably the best receiver in Ottawa all season long. Uh, we saw it at running back the past two games, a bit of a changing of the guard there. Uh, Timothy Flanders, a healthy scratch and uh, Delance Turner coming off the practice roster and getting in, in those two games. And uh, I'm interested to see now where we go at quarterback for Ottawa, because uh, Caleb Evans, has not looked fantastic since that game against Edmonton. I thought he looked really good in that win over the Elks. Uh, But then next game against Toronto is where I think he threw two or three pick sixes in that one Uh, against Montreal last week, didn't get a whole ton done. And then this week against Montreal, just 52% of his passes, 145 yards, a touchdown, three interceptions again, and uh, ended up getting replaced by Taron Christian, who came in, but uh, by the sounds of things also went down due to injury and could be out for a while. So uh, where does Ottawa go from here? Do they ride Caleb Evans out for the rest of the season? Do we see Duck Hodges finally get, uh, you know, he's been with the team for a little while. Presumably he's going to dress at least as a backup for next game. If Christian's not ready to go, do we see them give him a shot at starting quarterback? Where do you go here? Yeah, yeah, De- uh, Devin Hodges. Uh, yeah, you know what? It's 
it's what I said earlier. It's going to be evaluation as to who your quarterback is. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the number one quarterback position in Ottawa is an open audition. Uh, we'll see on that on Ottawa's side of things. Defensively, I keep going back and forth whether they've gotten better defensively or then they still have these games where, you know, they're giving up the big plays, they're giving up the big yards. I think they have a couple good pieces there on defense, but uh, it's certainly still a position where they could tinker with a little bit as well. A lot of holes on the Ottawa roster. I think it's safe to say special teams is the strength for this team. Uh, you know, Lewis Ward is always consistent when it comes to kicking field goals. Devontae Dedman had an electric game once again here for Ottawa, 69, a 69-yard kick return. I think he had another one or punt return, another one that was 40-something. Um, but he did go down due to injury, which sucks to see. I say it every week, Devontae Dedman, one of my favorite players in the CFL, Hoping his injury is not too long, and uh, I think this guy's got a heck of a career ahead of him in the CFL. Yeah, I, I agree, and I, and I think that's why you also need to do what's called asset protection, right? If you know he's a part of your future, you know, do you need to play him? Absolutely, but, um, you know, look, look ahead here and, and think long-term. Let's move on to the final game of week number 11. The Calgary Stampeders uh, beating the BC Lions 39-10. to 10. Uh, Since we last talked, BC was on the bye week the week before. Calgary picking up their second straight win against the Riders in that one, 22-19. Boy, did we not say this potential could happen uh, coming down the stretch of the season, that Calgary would get things together. And look at that. They've won three straight. They've won four of their last five. Uh, Things are looking up for Calgary. They're all of a sudden tied with the Riders for second in the West Division and have the season series over them. They play each other again this week, I believe. Uh, What do you make of this tear we're seeing the Calgary Stampeders go on? Yeah, it's really a, ter- a tale of two seasons. And uh, I think, to be completely honest, and not, not that everything else I say isn't honest, but you know what I mean. Uh, I see I see Calgary being the biggest threat to now winning the West, and I can't believe I'm saying that. And the threat to the Bombers, let's be clear, right? The Bombers are going to win the West. I think it's pretty clear. Oh, yeah, the biggest playoff threat to represent the West in in the playoffs. I think obviously the Bombers, but I, I fully expect along with you what what you were telling me that uh, Calgary's going to be here in uh, December for a spot in, in the Great Cup on the line. Yeah, uh, they've turned things around. They're looking really good. We talked so much earlier on about the struggles of Bo Levi Mitchell and. You know, he, he hasn't been overly fantastic, I'd say, in the past couple of games, but he got it done. There was a great uh, post-game press conference from Bo this week where, uh, I believe it was in the press conference, he put his arms up and started celebrating the fact that he finally didn't throw an interception this week. Uh, you got to love, you got to love Bo Levi Mitchell. Uh, feeling maybe a little humble 
after the struggles he's gone on throughout this year. But 270 yards, a touchdown from this game. I also think the, the, the Stampeders have gotten the running game going for them a little more in recent weeks. You know, in the last couple of seasons, we've seen some successful running backs for them, but it's been a lot of a rotation, I want to say, ever since. Uh, who would you say was the last, like, you know, number one go-to really lead the team running back for Calgary? Does it go back as far as John Cornish, uh, Jerome Messam, maybe, and since then? That's who I would lean towards uh, as the uh, the kind of two best rushing attacks we've seen from Calgary in the, the last long time. But Kadeem Carey is having himself not a bad year here. I think 67 yards on the ground in this one, a 5.6 average. Uh, I know he had a big game against Saskatchewan the week before. Uh, yeah, it's good to see the running game get going, and it's good to see Calgary – uh, moving things more efficiently on offense. And I don't know if I've ever seen a team use as many receivers as Calgary consistently does. You know, you look at teams like Montreal or like BC, where you've got your four starting, four or five starting receivers, and they're the ones getting the ball each and every game. I mean, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different players with, with a catch in this one for Calgary. Um if you would have asked me, if you would have told me that Richie Sindani was going to lead the team in receiving with six catches on six targets for 60 yards, given that he only had about five catches all year uh, or something like that coming in. Uh, yeah, I would have said you were maybe a little bit crazy, but even with all the injuries, no Kamar Jordan, no Josh Huff, uh, they're finding a way to get it done. Yeah, they're, 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 they're finding a way, and it's just this new opportunity. Uh, guys relishing the opportunity to uh, be a huge part of uh, what's been, what seems to be a resurgence. The only thing that would cause me uh, some hesitancy is the riders have kind of been sliding the wrong way of late. Um BC's kind of, you know, overachieved to, to the point of the last couple of weeks. Um, it should be very interesting how how that's all going to work uh, going forward. And, you know, against, I'm not trying to downplay Calgary's last three impressive wins, but oh, I guess what I'm trying to say, look at who they beat. It's teams ahead of them. They've gained ground. Are they the best team in the West now behind the Blue Bombers? Probably. But, you know, let's start to see them strain more games together that aren't necessarily the Riders, but aren't necessarily BC. Because I just feel like the Riders have been going the wrong way the last number of weeks. It started, haven't really, the Riders haven't really been the same team since, you know, the bath-to-bath losses that didn't Winnipeg. BC hasn't really been the same team since, you know, they fell apart to the Riders. Uh, it was at home against uh, BC. So there's a lot of Calgary's kind of said, okay, you know what, those two aren't doing anything uh, substantial as far as moving up the standing. Let's see if we can get on a heater and catch them. And, boy, they're right there. But, but who do you want them to play as the true test uh, of, of where they're at? I mean, uh, Saskatchewan and BC, 
Uh, take Winnipeg out of the equation or as good of football teams as we've seen any of the other teams be on a consistent basis this year, certainly. Uh, I, and, you know, if you want to talk about, okay, we'll wait till they play the Bombers. Outside of the one loss that Winnipeg had to Toronto earlier this year, Calgary is the team that gave them the most fits. They brought them down to the game's final field goal. Uh, and it was a, a miss by Rene Paradis, you know, gave the Bombers the win in that one. I think this team's going to be dangerous down the stretch, and I think they're getting better on all sides of the ball. You know, we talked a lot earlier this season about defensively uh, how much the Stampeders were struggling in games where, you know, they got eaten alive, especially on the corners. Well, in this game, starting quarterback for BC, Michael Riley, 13 of 25, 145 yards only and two interceptions, no touchdowns. Gets pulled later in the game and replaced by Nathan Rourke, who throws for 115. Like, I expected the potential for Michael Riley to throw for over 300 and maybe 350 against the Stampeders defense. But I think they're slowly but surely getting it together, and we should have expected nothing less. You know, team with a lot of changes. It's been two years. Uh, This is what we expected to see from some of them. these teams is them really start to dial in down the stretch. And I think that's what we're seeing on all three sides of the ball for Calgary. Yeah. And that would be exactly what I would expect. Uh, Calgary's finally found a way to put it together here. Let's touch on the BC side of this matchup. Uh, Dismal day for the Lions, 39 to 10 loss. Uh, definitely not the way they wanted to come out of the bye week. Uh, notable news coming into this game for BC was the release of running back Shaq Cooper, which, yeah, not going to lie, is uh, a huge Shaq Cooper stan. I, uh, I, I shed a tear a little bit uh, that he it was unfortunately released because I really thought he was going to have a big year coming into this year. He looked good in bright flashes or in small in small sample size for in his time in Edmonton. And I thought, you know, starting role, decent offensive line, a good passing attack to complement him. Uh, we could see Cooper have a fantastic year for here for BC, but I feel I, I feel sad here because I feel like this is a guy losing his job as a byproduct of the offensive scheme of the team. I don't think Cooper did anything necessarily uh to warrant being released so to say i he didn't have a great year but he also barely had a chance to show anything for bc if you're only running the ball you know three four times with him a game uh how how is a guy supposed to put up the numbers yeah it's very mystifying situation uh to say the very least um this is also a team that doesn't run the ball a whole lot. Um, but I just wonder what he did to lose his spot in the rotation uh, over there. And it's also mystifying to me why nobody's picked them up yet. Uh, so I'm not too familiar with, with you know the reasoning behind it. I'm shocked. Uh, I know, Ryan, but that's a player that you've been very high on. Um uh, over the course of uh, time. Um, but again, it's the winds of change swirling uh, in uh, BC a little bit. 
Yeah, and uh, maybe it came down to money. You know, I have to imagine bringing him in as a starting uh, running back in the offseason. They paid him a little bit more than they've been paying James Butler, who now takes over the starting job. And really, does it make much of a difference between Shaq Cooper and James Butler talent-wise if you're only going to run the ball and give them five carries a game? No, it really doesn't matter a whole lot. And I think we're starting to see more and more now you know, earlier in the season, I was high on the, the Lions. I thought they were doing a solid job this year, uh, but they are now four and five on the season, one and five against the West division. And I think the other teams in the West are starting to take a little bit of an advantage of the fact that you're not going to win the majority of your football games on the year. If you start, if every set of downs, you end up in second and long, I don't care how good your quarterback is. Uh, Michael Riley, one of the best quarterbacks in the CFL. If you're on second and long, you know, second and eight, nine, second and 10 in a lot of cases, because then most of their first down plays are passing plays, more often than not, you're going to be punting the ball. And we're starting to see that from this Lions team not having the offensive efficiency. And I just wonder what it's going to take to change that. Are we going to eventually see some course correction here? Or is this going to bite them in the butt and cost them a playoff spot? Because now we're looking at BC is fourth place in the West division. And uh, well, they've got, they've got some tough games coming up here yet. They've got a matchup with Winnipeg again this week. uh, And I believe they've got some more divisional matchups down the stretch. So I think this could be a tough uh, situation here for the Lions down the stretch uh, to get back into a playoff spot, especially if Saskatchewan can right the ship here a little bit after those games against Calgary. And, uh, you know, especially uh, with Calgary been on being on the heater there on. So I have some concerns here for the BC Lions and uh, how they're going to play here down the stretch. Mike, we, we talked on the offensive inefficiency and the lack of the running game for BC, but uh, maybe in their last two games, you know, where it hasn't looked good, uh, 39 to 10 to Calgary, what was it, 30 to 10 or something like that to the Bombers before their bye week. Uh, Zach Caleros threw for over 400 against them in that game. Uh, what's What's changed with this defense? Or do we need to start putting some of the kind of emphasis on the uh, the decline of the defense here in recent weeks because uh, go back to earlier in this year behind the Bombers I would argue they were the best defense in the league you know they were shutting things down they weren't giving up touchdowns they were forcing turnovers uh, where has this defense gone for BC yeah I don't know it, it seems to be it seems to be the great mystery and I'm beginning to wonder Ryan if perhaps they over overachieved because one of the games I believe that they lost was that shootout where they were changing quarterbacks uh, or Riley or Riley. You know, I'm beginning to wonder if perhaps this team overachieved early on and perhaps that this is the uh, BC team that we were expected to see all along. It uh, doesn't help that your number one receiver is on the shelf with an injury, for sure. But um, it's just, it, it's interesting how, you know, 
it seems to me like we're getting a bit of a standings correction in the last couple of weeks. And Calgary's kind of playing the way they're accustomed to playing. Saskatchewan's kind of come down a little bit. BC's kind of come down a little bit. Um, I'm not really too sure. I mean, I wasn't all that high on BC as far as finishing very high in the standings. Uh, maybe first or second place. I had the more third place or a fourth place team. Um, they're right to me where they should be, and that's fighting for the third spot or fighting for a crossover for which they're currently tied. Yeah, I would agree as well. And you mentioned their number one receiver being out. They should get some help in at receiver uh, in the next little bit. Uh, Devere Posey, recently, recently released by the Ticats, uh, has been signed by the BC Lions, so I'm excited to see what he does in a Lions uniform uh, in the remainder of this season. Before we move on to talking about fantasy and our CFL pick'em for next week, uh, the other big news we got this week for around the CFL is uh, no more Rod Black uh, stepping down potentially on possibly by himself, possibly due to cuts by Bell. Um, it seems to be a little bit vague one way or the other. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to Rod Black. Uh, you know, he has done CFL coverage, sports coverage in general for TSN for so many years. And I know a lot of people, uh, you know, rag on him a little bit for, uh, the coverage he does of the CFL and, you know, some of his sayings and the things he he likes to, you know, harp on when it comes to CFL games. I love Rod Black. He he has his broadcast style. He's quirky. He's fun. Uh, I enjoy it. It's always a fun experience when Rod Black does a CFL game. And uh, it's kind of surreal, kind of weird to see him uh, all of a sudden just go uh, disappear in the middle of the season. Uh, sounds like he knew already earlier this year or a couple weeks ago already that this past week would be his final CFL game and uh, wish him nothing but the best with uh, whatever's next in his career. Yeah, you know what, as much gripe as he took uh, from a lot of fans about the way he went about it, uh, people that have talked to him, uh, people that know who he is that I've talked to say he's a really great guy and uh, He'll land on his feet somewhere else very, very soon. And as someone that's currently in the industry but can speak from a little bit of experience, versatility, being able to do a lot of things really helps you. Well said, well said. Best of luck to Rod Black in his future endeavors. And uh, one more time, Mike, I think in his honor, did you know that Luke Tasker is the son of the great NFL great Steve Tasker? Absolutely, I did. <laughs> One of his he, he would always say, he would always say too, when it was really hot in Winnipeg, one of his lines, it's a smoker in the page. He would, he would always have these, you know, he had this unique, like, serious side of play-by-play, play, like, which is what you need as a play-by-play announcer. Then you have this on-air kind of witty side to you, which, uh, which really helps uh, you connect with viewers in a different way or listeners, depending on uh, which platform you use. Right. Yes, most definitely. 
Um, let's move on to CFL fantasy and CFL pick them, uh, in the Canadian football podcast network fantasy league. Uh, in my uh, worst week of the year finished last among everyone, only 50.6 points, barely crossed the 50 point mark. Uh, yeah, we throw this week in the trash and never speak of it again. Uh, I did fall to super fan Mike from the turf district podcast. I tell you, this man's my kryptonite. Uh, four games against him in the past two years. I haven't won a single one. Beats me every time. Uh, maybe one day I'll be able to take him down, but this was not the week. Uh, I fell to seven and four in the overall standing second place. Uh, and I will be facing off with the other member of the turf district in the league this week. Uh, and it's the guy at the top of the charts. It's Andrew from the turf district, uh, eight and three on the season. So a head to head matchup between me and him for first place in the overall standings should be a great battle. Make sure you check out the turf district podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms and check out all the other great shows from around the Canadian football podcast network as well. Uh, looking at our fantasy league, uh, go back to, I guess, last week, the week back to week 10, uh, which was for, First of two weeks since we last recorded the podcast, I beat Mike 173.8 to 129.3 in that one. Uh, Drew within uh, about 12 points in the overall totals. Uh, we've made a number of roster moves since then, uh, most notably a trade between the two of us. Mike, do you want to explain that one? Yeah, so I was in a little bit of, I don't know, desperation was the right move. Uh, but I could not find a quarterback. And this goes back to me beating Ryan uh, for two weeks in a row, I think it was. Three yeah. weeks in a row, I can't, I can't even remember. Overtaking him. So the way it works in our pool is if you're in last place overall, you get first pick of the... And that's sweet if you want to make roster moves before the other person uh, gets a pick. And what happened was I did not have first pick. Uh, it was the week for Vernon Adams. Uh, wound up getting hurt. I had a quarterback. Uh, I think it was Fajardo last week. Yeah, it was Fajardo. Uh, it was on a bye week along with a whole bunch of other teams that were on bye week. And, of course, Ryan using the first pick because he uh, – so rightfully had took basically the quarterback that I was eyeing uh, to replace my to run quarterback for my team for a week. So I was painted into a corner where I I had asked Ryan uh, if he wanted to make a trade because in my mind, and this is not me being a sore loser because it is a very close competition still, always has been the whole year. Uh, I asked Ryan if he wanted to trade one of his horde of quarterbacks because <laughs> I, I couldn't understand why Ryan was hoarding so many quarterbacks. Like he had no reason to hoard so many quarterbacks. But anyway, that's what any that's I may, what I may, that's what somebody, on my, I may have had five on my active or five on my uh twenty person roster. Yeah. So anyway this is just to kind of rat out Ryan for picking all the quarterbacks for no reason other than just putting them on his bench. So anyway, it painted, it painted me into a corner where I had to make a trade. 
So I don't exactly remember the details of the trade, but I have acquired, and, and there's other pieces involved in this deal. I have agreed to trade Eugene Lewis from Montreal to Ryan in exchange for Zach Palau. So there's a few smaller details in that, but I think you can kind of fill in there now that the week is done. Uh, we can kind of go through the numbers and all that. So the cornerstone of the trade that we made is Eugene Lewis for Zach Palau to give me a quarterback for last week. Uh, but yeah, picking up the picking up the quarterback that I consider to be the number one quarterback in the league this year uh, did not come cheap. Yeah, the uh, the exact details of the trade. Uh, I gave Mike Zach Caleros in exchange for Eugene Lewis and uh, basically the equivalent of future considerations, uh, which was, uh, you know, if I'm ahead in the standings for this coming or after week 11, uh, I still get the first roster move of the week, which uh, does come true because I did beat you this week, 94.2 to 67.7. Uh, down week across the board for players uh, in CFL fantasy this week. Uh, you were also painted in a bit of a corner. And, and half my team being on Sid Bay didn't help either. Yeah, no William Stanback. Uh, Sean Thomas Erlington was on a bye. A couple other guys, DJ Foster was on a bye. Uh, so you only had one of your three running box back slots actually fillable with a player playing this week. And of course, your defense on the bench as well. So uh, I wish I would have beaten you by more than I did, given this, but uh, I do pull ahead in the overall standings by about 15 points, 1290.4 to 1275.7. Uh, so, Mike, normally you will get the uh, the first uh, roster moves of the week, but I do get to make one before you, which we will iron out in the next couple of days. So we'll see if I can make do uh, some good with that roster move. I think I know what that movie's going to be, but I'll wait and see. I don't. So uh, if you know, please tell me. I have a feeling you did a pick of Brady Oliveira. Uh, okay, that is one I have considered. We will iron that out. Uh, but let's move on to CFL Pick'em. We didn't do picks on the show last week, but I did uh, do my overall uh, Pick'em uh on the CFL Pick'em website. I went two and one last week. The week before was one and or two and three. Uh, so hovering uh, just below 500. Uh, I don't know. Did you make any picks for last week, Mike? How did you do? No, 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 no. I was so inundated with my NFL picks, which I'll get to right when we're done. <laughs> Sounds good. Let's move on to our picks for this week. Uh, four games on the schedule. Uh, it starts off Friday night with the Toronto Argonauts visiting the Montreal Alouettes. Uh, what do you think the pick trend is, and who do you got winning this one, Mike? Yeah, this is a battle for first place, isn't it? So I'd imagine it would be 60 40, 70 30 Montreal, 82 to 18 Toronto. Largely in part, I think, because of the quarterback questions in uh, Montreal. That would be the only. That would be the only reason I could think of. Uh, I'm going to go with the pit trend. I I don't see Argos coming off a bye. Yeah, I'm going to go Toronto here as well. They looked good uh, in their past couple of games. I think Montreal's looked pretty good too, but. Uh... 
Uh, Montreal doesn't play great at home, and the Argos coming off the bye, I like them a little bit more, but I think it's going to be much closer than this 82% of people potentially think it will be. Um, moving on to the second game, we've got a Saturday triple header again this week. Uh, Hamilton hosting Ottawa in this one. Uh, what do you think the pick trend is? Uh, 89 to 11 for Hamilton. For Hamilton, it is 96 to 4. Uh, I'm, aye, aye, aye. I'm agreeing with that. Uh, I have been burned by picking the Red Blacks to win a couple times in the past few weeks. Uh, but I think the Ticats coming off the bye week, a little more time maybe to practice with everybody being healthy again. And uh, coming off of, uh, I believe Jeremiah Mazzoli just had himself a, a really good game last time for Hamilton. Two games in a row for the Ticats. They've come so close but falling just short. I think they bounce back against Ottawa this week. Who are you taking in this one? Yeah, I'm going to take Hamilton. I think there's just too much against the wall here for Ottawa. I know they're going to surprise some teams probably going forward, but not this week. Then we get into the uh, the Bombers hosting the BC Lions. Uh, you're up first on this one. What do you think the trend is, and uh, who are you taking? 87-13 for, for Winnipeg. I think that might be your closest guess yet this year. 92-8 to eight Winnipeg. Uh, goodness gracious, we're getting closer, are we? Uh, in fairness, I think that's between a number between a, one and a hundred. So the chances of being bang on, not that great. Uh, but that being said, uh, I'm going to stick with my trend all year long. And that's pitting against the Blue Bombers, so that this magical ride can continue. <laughs> I am pitching the BC Lions to beat the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in Winnipeg. Yeah, I'm going the Bombers at home. I think this is a team that uh, looked a bit sloppy the past couple of weeks and still uh, came out with some solid wins. BC seems to be reeling maybe a little bit here. Uh, I'm going to take the Bombers to take this one uh, and continue the winning streak at home. Uh, and then we get into the third matchup of this month between Calgary and Saskatchewan. This one in Calgary. Where do you think the picks lie and who are you taking to win? There's going to be a lot of uh, siding with Calgary based on uh, the way they play the blade. But the pitch end historically has a lot of rider fans probably cheering for the riders. So it's when probably 70-30. In favor of Saskatchewan? 52 to 48 Calgary. It's a very close one this week. Oh. And and I think, to be honest with you, that's reflective, I think, of the type of game we're going to get. Who are you taking? Yeah, I'm I'm picking uh, Calgary at home. I don't know where to go with this one. I think the Riders are going to be better coming off the bye week, uh, especially since they should have Duke Williams in the lineup, I think, uh, which is going to help them a ton. But I think Calgary's been on such a roll. They're good at home. You know what? Take, give me the Stampeders at home in this one because I think it's so close. I'll give them the home field advantage uh, to sweep the season series with Saskatchewan. I did not see that coming a number of weeks ago. Those are our CFL picks for week number 12. We'll see how successful we are on those. Uh, I know I was bugging you about this a little earlier today in our text conversations, Mike. 
If only you could take your NFL pick wizardry and uh, translate that success to the CFL level, because you've had yourself quite the week, haven't you? I do have myself quite the week, and I am still going back and forth as to what I'm going to do with tonight's NFL game. For those that don't know, I am in a pool that involves a weekly pool of uh, a small amount of money where a certain amount of people's entry fee goes to the weekly winner each week. Well, the situation is I am fortunate enough to have gone 13-0 and zero to this point in the NFL week here. Uh, I have not clinched the pool yet this week, believe it or not. There are four people behind me that are... Uh, 12 and 1. So I have to make the right pick for tonight in order to win the week outright for myself or risk falling into a tie break in the event that everybody else hits the same team. It really doesn't matter uh, what would happen. So, yeah, I've kind of had a, a fortunate week of NFL picks. Uh, quite honestly, I had the family member of mine who's in the in this pool with me who says who says to me in the middle of the afternoon yesterday hey you realize you're running a perfect week right and I had not seen um I had not seen uh the standings yet uh and and then I went to chat and I realized what had happened just complete like one of those weeks where everything goes right, and I'm hoping I can make one more correct decision tonight. Well, best of luck to you there. Uh, certainly in CFL picks, it's uh, it's hard to get a perfect week. I don't think I have one yet on the season. Uh, maybe it's not so hard. Maybe I just suck. Uh, but uh, in a week where there's 14 different games to pick, uh, it's quite a difficult task. So kudos to you on that one, Mike. And uh, as we wrap up this episode of the podcast, before I do the final wrap-up, anything you want to plug and where can people find everything you got going on? Yeah, people can find everything at uh, facebook.com backslash MikeFMWPG or facebook.com backslash GameTimeTVMB or by visiting GameTimeTV.ca. We have an exciting announcement. Hopefully, by the time this next podcast comes out, either next week or later this week here. Um, but we'll, we'll wait to see. So there's a exciting announcement coming in the next seven to 10 days. That's all I'll say. Sounds good. And if you want to find uh, what Mike's got going on on Twitter as well, you can follow him there at Mike Garrell. Uh, for myself, you can, uh, if you're interested in CFL fantasy talk, you can check out on YouTube, the Canadian football fantasy fix. Each and every week, I do positional previews, depth chart updates, and all the likes and sorts of that uh, over there, Canadian Football Fantasy Fix on YouTube. You can follow me on Twitter as well, at CooperTrooper42. I tweet out all the notable fantasy stuff each and every week there, too, uh, to help you set finalize your lineups and make changes with last-minute uh, lineup changes, like this week when William Stanback was ruled out with food poisoning. Uh, right before the game, or Josh Huff was also ruled out right before the game for Calgary. Uh, don't take zeros in your lineups. Uh, follow the Canadian Football Fantasy Fix or me on Twitter to uh, get all the info on that. 
for our podcast, uh, whatever podcast platform you're currently listening on, we would appreciate it if you dropped us a rating or a review. Uh, leave it a like. Uh, if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button so you get all the future episodes of the podcast. You can also go back and listen to all the past episodes of the podcast as well. And uh, share the show with your friends. Uh, let everybody know uh, how much fun we have talking about CFL football each and every week. Uh, we will hopefully be on this uh, more consistent schedule going forward of uh, Monday recording times. Once again, we apologize that the last couple of weeks have been a little back and forth. Uh, make sure you check out all the other great shows from around the Canadian Football Podcast Network. You can find them at CF Pod Network on Twitter. And uh, that does it for this week. We hope you enjoy the games from week number 12, and we'll be back to recap it all next week. As always, for Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Coop saying thanks for watching. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.